Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is your new comic book day episode for April 14th, 2021. And it is a big day in comics. There are a ton of books, especially from Marvel, coming out today. I kind of feel like uh, the first week of the month has sort of become a big independent day. Uh, that's the day that Bad Idea releases their books. And we've got Noctera coming out the first of every month. Uh, Berserker usually is out that day. We had uh, Geiger from uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank come out. And now all of a sudden the second day is all, it's like, uh, or the second Wednesday, I should say, second week is all these big DC books like the Batman anthology, Joker, uh, and tons of, of big Marvel books. So we got a lot of books that we're going to talk about. And there's even more that we are, that I'm going to mention when we do the rundown that we didn't get a chance to talk about. Uh, so we're going to dive right in. Um, and we'll talk about some other Marvel stuff along the way because I want. It's been a while since Jay's been able to join me, and I want to pick his brain about some stuff. So uh, we're going to kick it off with Black Cat, Felicia Hardy, Black Cat, written by Jed McKay, art is by Michael Dowling, colors by Brian Raber, and letters by Ferrano Delgado. Uh, so this is one you wanted to talk about, Jay. What did you think? Oh, I liked it because like the last, well, the first last years about this was her stealing certain things from certain uh, characters like Wolverine, uh, Doctor Strange, Fantastic Four. And I guess it was a buildup for her to do the next heist. So the next series is called The Gilded City, where she has help for her mentor to pull off this big heist to you know steal from the richest people of New York. Uh, you get a flashback in it, which I like because, you know, like I said, she talks to her mentor, you know, when he kind of said, hey, you're on your own now. I've, I've, you're now the master. I can't teach you anything else. But then it was good because it's kind of a little twist and you kind of figure you're going to get that from her mentors. Like, you know, this is going too smooth. Something's going to happen in the end. And of course it does. And I, I like the character. I, I like the story where it's going with it. And the artwork's good. I like it. Yeah. So I haven't been reading this at all. Last I saw Felicia Hardy in the pages of Spider-Man, she was kind of like, uh, not, not to the level of Kingpin, but she kind of had her own gang. She'd like leveled up in terms of like she was a crime boss, not just a thief. Is she back to just her her roots of being a, a yeah cat burglar? She, yeah, she's back to her. So I think that's the reason she did all that is because she got burnt by uh, Doctor Octavius. Because remember, he was Spider Man, so he kind of burnt oh, her. Oh, gotcha. And that's why she kind of said, "I'm going to get back at this guy," and that was her way of getting back at Peter. But it wasn't Peter, of course. Gotcha. Right on. Uh, well, yeah, I, t I did glance at it. I did glance at the art because you uh, you know you want to talk about it, and so. Uh, I thought the art was really good. She's just not somebody that I've ever been a big fan of. And I think it's because I, whenever Spider-Man or, or Peter Parker was with her, I was always like, dude, you need to be with Mary Jane. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Most so people I, think that. <laughs> yeah. So I just never been a big black cat fan, but uh, anyway, let me move on to the first book I'm going to talk about. It's a uh, fantastic four number 30, amazing, uh, cool, cover by uh, mark brooks with a nullified uh thing which you know you hear me say nullified you're like what wait king in black isn't that over yes this book is late <laughs> it was supposed to come out uh but what's interesting is half the book or or i should say three quarters of the book takes place toward the end of of king in black that big crossover and then the last few pages take place after it's all like finished like halfway through the book they're basically telling you hey go and like go and finish reading the end of King and black and then come back and, uh, and read the rest. I, I guess is how you would look at it. Uh, but it, it's, it's pretty solid, but I did want to ask you, Jay, since you read the King and black miniseries, uh, you know, Donny Cates and venom and symbiotes and null and all that. How did it turn out? Did you feel like it was bloated? Did you feel like it was good? How did it work out for you? It left a little uh, questions unanswered, but it's like, uh, I'm probably going to poke at it a little bit more. <laughs> I think that's how the Marvel does their, their things nowadays. They try to finish it up, but you know there's more to the story. It's like, okay, so what about this and this? And they don't, they, they're going to come across later. I'm, I'm assuming they're going to go back to it. I'm not too sure. Gotcha. All right. Well, I thought Fantastic 430 was, was okay. Uh, Dan Slott writing Z Carlos on art, which I felt the art was kind of subpar. For the most part, the interior art on Fantastic Four has been really solid. But this was just okay. It wasn't terrible. It was serviceable. Nothing to get excited about. Um, the Jesus Arbatov colors are as solid as they've been throughout. Uh, Joe Caramani on letters, that's all fine. Um, one thing about Arbatov's colors is he keeps things very bright, even though this is a null storyline, uh, King and Black storyline, you expect things to be a little dark. 
they're still pretty bright, which sort of suits um, a Fantastic Four story. And <laughs> you can sort of tell that maybe Slot didn't want to do this, you know, didn't want to be pulled into the whole King and Black Null crossover because he sort of speaks through the Fantastic Four characters and they're even saying, we sh this isn't what we do. All this dark stuff and fighting off this invasion and defending Earth, we should be out exploring and having adventures and it feels a little meta from Dan Slott. He's like, this isn't really the Fantastic Four. And seeing the evil version of Human Torch and this evil version of Thing or nullified version, if you want to say, it's okay. It's not really that interesting. I think Slot makes the most of it. He has, um, he takes advantage of, of the Torch and Thing being possessed with this to, to do some things with them and for them to express some things that maybe they wouldn't otherwise um, which could lay groundwork later on for some uh, sort of drama or conflict within the team within Fantastic Four, which is really what Fantastic Four has been since it started, right? Family drama, conflict, and things like that. And uh, even after, in the last few pages of the story, when the King in Black and the Null Invasion has all been uh, sort of resolved, there's still a few things that, that happen, uh, specifically one with Thing, and one with Johnny Storm, Human Torch, where you sort of understand where they're coming from when they were expressing certain certain things. And you see that even though the, the, the immediate crisis is over, the underlying reasons for that, the, you know, the, the seeds of a possible conflict are still there. So I think that despite getting that feeling that Dan Slott really didn't want to have to be sucked in to the King and Black storyline, this ends up being a pretty, a pretty good book it, it's it's like yeah we had to tie in with king and black but we're making the most of it and we're setting up further family drama and further um dynamics down the line so i think it works out pretty well i just wish the art was a little better is the uh is the only thing so uh did you happen to to read it yeah, I liked it. Like I said, I, I kind of got the same my vibe when he was talking about this. Like he didn't want to do this. I kind of got, you know, it's like somebody. I feel sorry for some of these writers because, like, like another one was Daredevil. They didn't want to be part of that, but they yep. had they had to mix it in somehow because yep. it's probably you know we had to compete the story. It's got to go through all the titles. Yep. So these writers are like, Ugh, okay, let's do this. Yeah, you're right about Daredevil. It, it totally felt shoehorned in. The rest of the issue was so great, and that part was just kind of like, ugh. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the of the storyline, but it's like, man, don't don't if you don't don't have to do it, don't do it. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Uh, all right, well, uh, next book up is Wolverine number eleven. This is from writer Benjamin Percy, pencils by Scott Eaton, inks by J.P. Mayer, colors by uh, Matthew Wilson, and letters by Corey Petit. Uh, and I just have to say that regular cover is pretty damn awesome. I'm I'm really behind on a lot of my X Men stuff and. Benjamin Percy, I love his writing. I'm a big fan of his work. And he, like the knowing that he's on Wolverine, it's making me want to get caught up on Wolverine. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, like I said, the cover looks awesome with Omega Red and whatnot. So uh, give us your thoughts. What do you think of this issue? Oh, okay, issue 11. Um, I like it. It's it pretty much going to have a whole, whole storyline with the whole X-Men title. It's going to deal with the vampire. So Dracula, you know, wants to get Wolverine's blood with him. And, you know, Omega's get thrown in there, too, because he's kind of guess working from both sides they really haven't got that in theory they haven't really told that part yet but wolverine uh is pretty much uh is doing intel with uh different people and what i like about it in the book though is they have like little like uh intel sheets and it says wolverine's saying this and they're saying this in new york and he says yeah i did this i killed him too yeah yeah i did that yeah leave me alone i already did that and when he's talking to beast he leaves like pauses and he's like are you listening to me he's like yeah yeah whatever so the that's actually pretty funny um so he's he gets a uh, someone to help him out and i don't want to give away the character but she pops up to help him out to uh figure out what dracula where he's at so they can figure out why he's trying to steal his blood and obviously you know why they want his blood because they it crosses all the x-men titles they want you know the vampires they want to be able to walk in the sunlight but they have to have a, f a healing factor well who mutant can do that Wolverine's blood. So that's what they're trying to get with that. And they're getting Omega Meta help, help them out to, you know, come up with that formula. And as a kid, I always wondered, you know, what happens if Wolverine gets bit by a mosquito and he kills it? They show that in there. So it's kind of funny. So it's like, okay, I get it. So he's trying to, it's kind of cool. I like the storyline and I like where they're going with it. And they get at the very end of the, the comic, they give you a list of all the other X Men titles that's going to cross over with this whole vampire story. <laughs> 
That's pretty cool that they talk about what if Wolf, uh, you know, a mosquito got the blood of Wolverine. I, I had never thought about that before. But that's I guess I was a goofy kid because I was thinking, well, if you so, you know, but you sink is so good, you know, pierced. So it's like, what about mosquitoes? What happens if bugs bite and what happens then? Yeah, that's a pretty cool thing to think about, actually. I like that. I like, I like that idea. <laughs> but yeah, the cover, I keep going back to that cover. It's so, God, it's so damn good. So the art was good. It's not, uh, it's supposed to be vampirish, of course. So it's not bright colors, but they're just enough to give you the vibe of what's going on. So I, I like it. All right, well, let me go ahead and move on to uh, next book I'm going to talk about. Another Marvel title. It's so, been so good. Uh, it's by Christopher Cantwell. Writer Christopher Cantwell. Art is by Angel Unzetta. Uh, so the regular artist Kafu is taking the issue off. Uh, color art by Frank Daramata and letters by Joe Caramagna. Of course, I'm talking about Iron Man, and we're up to issue eight. Iron Man and his, his ragtag team. James Rhodes, Halcyon, Frogman, Misty Knight, uh, Gargoyle, and the Scarlet Spider have uh, taken off from Earth in a Stark spacecraft, and they're trying to chase down Korvac, who, along with the Unicorn and a couple of other classic Iron Man villains, are uh, attempting to invade or or uh, break into uh, uh, Galactus's ship. To sort of, there, there's power to be had there that Korvac needs because Korvac wants to take over the universe and remake it in his own image, right? And we know that Korvac has taken advantage of his mental abilities to connect to Patsy Walker to sort of eavesdrop on Iron Man and figure out his plans and what's been going on. Uh, and then in this issue, we find out because Patsy Walker has had uh, psionic powers or psychic powers in the past, and those were sort of mitigated by Moondragon many, many, many years ago, way back in Defenders number 77, um, because Hellcat Patsy Walker wasn't capable of controlling them. So Christopher Cantwell, that's what I love about uh, him. You know, he's a big comic nerd, from big comic fan from way back when, and he's pulling in all these threads of classic stuff that he read when he was a kid. Korvac himself as a villain, uh, Patsy Walker having these psionic powers and, uh, you know, uh, her exploring that and, and us finding out in, in this issue that maybe the reason that Korvac gave for, um, for having that mental link with Patsy wasn't what he said it was. Like everything isn't quite the way he pr is presenting it. I, I don't want to tell you why or what other reason might be because I don't want to give it away. I don't want to spoil it for you. Um, but it's cool. Th this issue really is just an exploration of who Patsy Walker is as a character uh, I'm not sure why Christopher Cantwell loves Patsy Walker so much, uh, but he's clearly leveling her up here and he's giving her more depth, I think, than she's ever had before. And it's just a really, really fun comic. Uh, as far as the art goes, I didn't even realize at first that it wasn't Kafu because Angel Unzetta's art is very similar to Kafu's art. So it's it's very dynamic. It's got really fine lines, great rendering. The color work by uh, Frank Diramata is outstanding. You know, you're in space and there's lasers and rocket engines and all that kind of stuff. And when Patsy's using her powers, her eyes are sort of glowing and all that work, all the lighting that Dear Mata's doing in his colors, it really leaps off the page. So I, th I thought the art in this book was absolutely spectacular. Uh, Cantwell always gives us a moment or two of, of humor. And that's the same here with this ragtag group. I mean, when I was reading off this team who's chasing down Korvac, you know, this almost godlike uh, person who's got all this power, who's even in search of more power so he can remake the universe as he sees fit. You would think that you'd need a, a really powerful team like the Avengers or the X-Men to take him on. And instead it's, no, it's Gargoyle and Frogman and Misty Knight. You know, it, th these aren't the heroes that you would necessarily expect. So uh, Catwell's given us a great story. It's got a lot of heart in it. And uh, the pacing and the dialogue, as has been the case throughout the whole series, are really, really good. So if you're not reading Iron Man, you really should be. This is a, w one of the best titles that Marvel's putting out right now. Uh, did you? Uh, are you caught up on Iron Man? Did you get a chance to read this, Jay? Uh, I started to read before we got up, before we started going live. But uh, yeah, I haven't, start, I haven't finished it yet. But you're you're caught up up till this issue. Yes, I am. Yeah, what it is a, it is a, it is a great story. Yeah. Does it feel to you like it's a more classic Iron Man than we've had in a long time? I feel like Iron Man in the last 10 or 15 years has really been people writing Iron Man as if he's Robert Downey Jr. 
and it feels like <laughs> it feels like Cantwell's going back to the classic Tony Stark. Well, the last I guess three series they had, I wasn't a fan because they were just they didn't know what to do with it. I mean, they had uh, they, Mary Jane was in charge. Well, I'm like, why why is yeah. she in this world? I don't I don't get yeah. this. Yeah. But now they're going back to I guess the roots. And I like the covers. The covers are classic and just keep them like that. Yeah. And I guess I've always been a Patsy Walker fan. I always, but she's one of those like unknowns that she's been there, but she doesn't have like a lot of uh, you know lamplight yet. You know who she is yeah. and what she does. Yeah, for a character that's been around so long, I mean, she goes back. Patsy Walker was around before the Fantastic Four. Yeah, I think it was like uh, uh, Avengers 144. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she goes back to um, like the timely days from like. Oh, Mil- yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like Millie well, yeah, the I Model. Think, yeah, I think when they had her in the Avengers, it was in that like back in the. Yeah, 144. Yeah, yeah that's when she was an Avenger. <laughs> yeah. So she goes, yeah, she goes way, way back. So for her to have been around that long uh, and not be fleshed out is kind of, kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's move on. Next book is Maestro, War and Pax, uh, War and Peace, written by Peter David. Art is by Javier Pina. Uh, the art in the backup is by Herman Peralta. Colors are by Jesus Arbatov, and letters are by Travis Lanham. Uh, so this is uh, issue four of five, next to last issue for this uh, Maestro, War and Pax. Uh, I don't know. This was a pretty quick read. What did you think? Uh it's pretty much you knew where it was going. Let's put it that way. You read it, you know, okay, we caught him. It's not going to last long. And you know what's going to happen in the end. And, you know, he kind of gets rid of two enemies with one stone, I guess you can say. I don't know. It's interesting, but I think the first series was better than this one. I mean, I'm not taking away anything from the writing and the, the artwork. They're great. But it's just like I feel like they're kind of dragging it a little bit compared to the first uh, series. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like, well you the first series was successful in terms of sales so you gave us another one even though peter david probably didn't necessarily have a you know an idea in his head of what this one was going to be about you know what i mean right so it feels a little it feels a little forced and it feels a little predictable like you said like you totally can see what's coming uh the whole time in, in this so yeah i I sort of agree with you. It's it's not the first one wasn't even as good as I had originally hoped it would be. Um, and then on top of that, it's like this one's even more of a, a letdown. So yeah, it's so bad, man. They had to put a second story in the back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I try to be mean, but it's like okay, but even that's like okay, that's it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I I will say that Dave Peter David is capturing sort of the dystopian feel like it really does feel like the end of the world, you know, yeah. <laughs> so that, that part works in terms of, you know, it's the Hulk and he's ruling over the ruins of civilization. So we're definitely, we're definitely getting there. The world is continuing to slide into oblivion as it were. So, uh, all right. Up next, I have daredevil. Uh, this is written by Chip Zdarsky. Art is by Marco Cicchetto. Colors are by Marcio Menez and letters are by Clayton Cowles and man, Daredevil. It's just, it's so good. This is issue number 29, I guess I should say. And it's just so good. Uh, Zdarsky, he's, as I've said uh, so many times with this Daredevil run, it's not like he's breaking brand new ground here in terms of tearing uh, Matt Murdock down to build him back up. He's in prison. We've seen that before. Uh, You know, this isn't, he's not inventing the wheel. But he does it with such emotion, and the artwork is spectacular. Uh, I feel like we're definitely leveling up in in this particular issue in terms of making things more complicated with what's going on with uh, Matt Murdock's brother, who isn't even doesn't even really exist, but somehow manifested himself. Like, go read Daredevil Annual One if you haven't read it; it it'll make sense, sort of. Um, so what's going on with him? What's going on with Kingpin? Uh, there's a, a very classic um, Daredevil villain who shows up that uh, apparently the Kingpin is is going to br- put back on the, the board, so to speak. Um, so that's interesting. The art is next level. The colors are spectacular. Seeing Elektra uh, sort of taking over the role of Daredevil for Matt, but in her own way. 
is super interesting. Like this book, it feels like it's ratcheting up to something big, right? Like it's been solid all along, like a really great emotional book with a lot of cool ideas and a lot of emotional weight to it. Uh, and now it feels like things are starting to happen a little faster. The pace is picking up. And with all these ideas and all these players and all these different events that are significant are, are starting to come at us a little quicker. And so it definitely feels like uh, Zadarsky's building up. I, I don't know. I mean, would you start ramping up if it was if it were issue 50 that you were aiming for to give us some big, huge thing like Matt's no longer in prison or whatever? It feels like a long way to go. I mean, that's another 20 issues. You know, that's that's almost two years. Uh, but we're already past issue 25. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's just going to build up to issue 35 or something. I, I, I'm not sure. It definitely feels like we're building up to something big, though. Uh, and the art has been outstanding, along whether it's been Chichetto or, or Mike Hawthorne. It's been really outstanding. So uh, I, I just love this book. This, this book. this book is the book that has made me a fan of, uh, of Zdarsky more than any other more than any other. It's, it's fantastic. So uh, I don't know if you got a chance to read it. Are you, are you caught up on Daredevil? Thanks to you. I collected the series. <laughs> it was like, uh, well, I think it was issue 26 or 25. You got me into it. I was like, yeah. it's actually really good. So I called my comic shop. I said, do you have the whole run? I'm like, yeah, you want it? I'm like, yeah, send it. <laughs> but this book was awesome. I love the, uh, the scene in the, in the, in the, in the yard where he gets in that fight scene in the yard. Yeah. And it was just perfectly because you know what he needs to see everybody. It's just perfect. It's like that was just really good. And then you're kind of like, eh, you know, it, it kind of went, ah, oh, but we'll see what happens next. Yeah, it's it, it's it's hard to find. You can't, I can't really find anything wrong with the series. Like it's it's that good. Like, I'm just waiting for them to come out with a figurine for uh, her in the, in the Daredevil oh, outfit. Because yeah. they do oh, that, yeah. I'm definitely I'm buying that because I already got a red one. I just need that one, and I'll be set. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, and you know it's coming too. So oh yeah. Uh, all right. Up next, our first non-Marvel book, uh, Maniac of New York, which we had Elliot Kalen uh, on to talk about a few, I guess about a month ago now to talk uh, right after the first issue dropped. Uh, but this is issue three. It's called All Aboard. As I mentioned, written by Elliot Kalen. Art and colors are by Andrea Moody. Uh, uh, letters are by Taylor Esposito. And uh, yeah, this is just such a fun, crazy book. Uh, but I'll let you go first. What, what are your thoughts, uh, Jay? I like it because you get like a flashback, which we I think we needed to see what happened with uh, Zelda because, you know, she has some issues. We need to why she's such a loner. So I like that part. And then you have them working together because they're now on you know, the train trying to find this guy. And you got uh, people running around trying to escape. And it's, there's a lot going on. He's kind of like, I had to read twice to make sure I didn't miss anything because it's such a short story. Like, did I miss something? But the artwork and the color go perfect with it. And then it kind of leaves you with the mystery is like, well, why did he stop at this point? Because there's something going on. So it's like, okay, so now they leave you with a little more mystery of what's going on with this character. But yeah, I'm definitely, uh, I definitely love it. And the ending's like, okay, what's, what's going to happen next? Yeah, I agree with you. It's the first time we've spent enough time with Harry, uh, the maniac, and seen him be anything other than just like this robotic killer. You know, like like Jay said, we don't want to give it away what, what happens, but there's something that that goes on in the book that makes him pause. And what's that all about? So there's a there's a mystery there. And the other thing that was great about this issue is I feel like we got our first like holy crap moment. Like I'm reading the book and you you turn the page toward the end, um, and there's something that happens to one of the characters. And I, I said out loud, I was like, Holy bleep, like because I just I wasn't expecting it. And it, it, it was one of those great moments like you get in a horror movie where something happens and it, it surprises you, you know, uh, maybe not necessarily a jump scare kind of thing, but just something that you weren't necessarily see, you know, you didn't see it coming. Um, and so there's one of those big moments in here where you're just like, oh, my God, this, this it just kind of reminds you how brutal this book is. Um, and so there's only two more issues to go. And. I, I mean, the next issue, I feel like it's probably going to be the most intense issue. Like this, this cliffhanger that it finishes on is like, oh man, as soon as I finished reading it, I wanted the next book. Immediately. <laughs> um, and I also really liked what it said about the two girls, you know, Gina and, and Zelda, you know, the, the, the two 
female protagonists who've taken it upon themselves to, to try to stop the serial killer when everybody else has sort of given up and just accepts him as a, a matter of course, you know, just like traffic or, um, or subway delays in New York that everybody's just come to accept that Harry the maniac lives in New York and he kills people and you just live with it. And these two women are like, no, that's not, that's not how it should be. We're, we're not going to, you know, live our lives like that. Um, but on this issue, you, you sort of come face to face with the fact that just because you feel that way doesn't mean you're necessarily the right people or you're even capable of, of confronting Harry, who really is somewhat of a force of nature. Uh, but then that goes back to that whole mystery of, you know, what caused Harry to, to pause when we saw it happen. And will, will they realize that? Will they solve that mystery? Will they be able to use it to their advantage? So, there, yeah, there's a lot going on here, even though it's a really fast-paced issue and it does read really fast. Uh, there is a lot here to, to unpack. So, it's a, yeah, it's a fantastic series. I'm really digging it. Uh, so two issues to go. I guess we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, all right, next book I'm going to talk about is, if I can find it, it's Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, number four, uh, written by Larry Hama. The art is by Dave Wachter. Colors are by Niraj Menon. Letters are by Travis Lanham. This has been a really great series overall. Like, I, I don't know if Larry Hama's ever written Iron Fist before, but man, he, he, he writes a great Iron Fist. You know, Larry Hama is a is a veteran comic writer. He's been around for a long, long time, mostly known for G.I. Joe, which he's been writing since the 80s and, and still writes it for uh, for IDW for their series. Um, but Larry Hama, he's really probably the most prolific uh, Asian-American comic uh, creator. He's probably, I think he's the Asian-American who's probably done more books, written more books. I'm not 100% of that sure, but it feels like it just because he's been doing it uh, for so long. Um, although I, Stan Sakai has been around for a long time too. Um, but anyway, you know, he's pulling on those Asian roots here and he's, he's telling a story that's really cool. It feels like it has some weight to it. There's a lot of Asian mythology, which ties in with Iron Fist's, uh, you know, background and origin with the mystic city of Kunlun and all that. Um, he's talking about the, the symbol of the yin and yang here and, uh, and exploring that the the whole idea is is it is that conflict between good and evil is it more about cosmic balance uh, okoye who a lot of people will know from black panther from the mcu or you know she's in the comics as well now um she plays a role here and and not necessarily in the way that you would think um and even though you know this is an iron fist book it's really more of a, a team book because he's got his his team of um of heroes who are helping him try to, to save these dragons, right? So basically the, the plot line of the story is there's this army of, of undead ninjas that come from the eighth, eighth city, right? Like Kunlun is, is one of seven uh, cities that, magical cities that are sort of on the side of, of good. And then there's one, the eighth city, which is sort of where all the evil uh, magic uh, of these extra dimensions live. Uh, and the, this army of undead ninjas, they, they're trying to kill all the dragons under heaven to basically gain control of uh, all the different realities. Um, and so it's not just Iron Fist who's trying to, to save the day. He's got, you know, Luke Cage there with them. He's got pay. He's got uh, some other allies and they're all trying to do their best to, uh, to, you know, stop what's about to happen. And you think Okoyo would probably be a welcome addition to that team, but you can't necessarily assume that. And based on what happens in this issue, there may be something else going on that we're not quite privy to. The other really cool thing is just seeing all the dragons. Like in this one, there's a, the, you get to meet the spider dragon. And it literally looks like half spider, half dragon. And it's just such a cool looking monster. Dave Wachter does a great job. Um, if I had any complaint about the art, it's that there's so much going on. This story is so detailed uh, I won't say complicated because it's pretty easy to understand, but it's so detailed in terms of the monsters and the mythology and the settings that Dave has to use somewhat smaller panels to sort of fit everything in because there's so much going on. Um, and I, I wish just based on how great his art is that we got bigger panels so we could see more of the detail um, or and not that they would ever do like, a, you know, an artist edition of this, but 
it, that's what it needs. It needs like a big oversized edition. So you can see all the detail he's putting in because some of these images are, are amazing. In fact, there's one image where Pei literally cuts, uh, cuts one of these undead ninjas in half, like from starting at the top of his head down through his groin. And it's just amazing. She just slices him right in half down the middle, like a watermelon with her katana. And it's so cool looking. But again, the panel is kind of is kind of small because there's so much going on and it's the story is so quickly paced. So um, but anyway, it, it's it's a great story and I've really been enjoying it. So uh, I haven't heard a lot of people talking about it. So I, I wanted to, to mention it. Uh, I don't know if it's something that you've been reading or not, Jay. Oh, no, I haven't uh, picked it up. No, I'm sorry. All good. All good. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to your next book. It's a uh, scumbag written by Rick, <laughs> Rick Remender. Art is by Francesco Mobili in this particular issue. Colors are by Moreno Denesio and letters are by Russ Wooten. Well, this is kind of an interesting story. So we already know that Ernie's like a double agent. He's working actually for the Posoma, I guess, people. And he's trying to, they're on the moon, which is weird, but he's got to fight these like uh, superheroes for the, uh, the Moonflower Heroes is what they're called. And they try to get him, but he since he has no conscience or whatever, they really didn't affect him because it doesn't phase him any because he doesn't feel guilty about anything he does or says. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what's going to go happen because I guess he's supposed to go there for a mission to find something. Uh, he finds it and it's like, it reverses everything you see in your world to what you would in the other world, what you're supposed to be. So he's a scumbag in this one. He sees himself in another world where he's like a, a corporate guy and he kind of freaks out. He calls, you know, he says, Oh, the horror of him being, you know, a, you know, a, you know I guess a Republican making all his money. <laughs> but uh, there is a lot of, uh, I guess, left and right in him when he's fighting these moon people, which is kind of funny. It's like, you know, it's like, what? The, the little sayings he said to kind of like make them like pass out or whatever. I thought it was kind of funny. Like um, meat is evil, you know, killing meat. Yeah, I was like, what? But it was good. I mean, it was, it was fine. I just don't know where they're going with the story. Cause I was, it, the beginning was really good, but now I'm just kind of like, okay, what's, what's going on now? You know, I guess I got to see where they're taking the story to next. Cause I guess he's going to be a triple agent, I guess. I, I don't know. They kind of leave you hanging on that one. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I feel like this series has sort of lost its way a little bit. It started off and it was, it was political satire and it was, you know, talking about decadence and capitalism and consumerism and, and all that. Um, and it was fun. And Ernie was so despicable. You couldn't take him seriously, but it, it, but it was still fun. And then in this arc, all of a sudden, it, I feel like the politics are more overt and in your face. And oh, yeah. it's not, it's just not as fun. It's, it feels like it's kind of dragging. And I, I feel like Ernie spends much less time talking or he doesn't have any agency anymore. He's not doing anything. E everybody else is doing all the talking. Um, in, in this particular issue, we meet kind of the, the, the leader of the moonflower cult, I guess you'd say she, she spends more time talking in the issue than Ernie or, or anybody else. It's almost like, why don't you just, finish the scumbag series with the last arc and just call this to start a new title and call it moonflower cult. Cause that that's what the last couple of issues <laughs> have been, you know, it, it's not a story about the scumbag anymore. It's a story of, of moonflower. So the ending did give me a little hope that things could kind of turn around and it could get more fun again. But I mean, when I read the premise of the book, I wasn't that excited for it. Cause it just, I mean, what do I want to read a book about a degenerate for, but it was so over the top that it made it funny and, and it did pull me in, but now it's back to like, why do I, why am I reading this? It, it, it almost felt like it was a little chore to get through it. Like I agreed with a lot of what the moonflower lady was saying, um, you know, politically and everything, but I, it needs to be entertaining too. You know, I don't just don't want to read a, a book that's espousing political ideas just for the sake of espousing political ideas. It's got to be fun. It's got to be entertaining. Um, also, I felt like the art early on was a lot better, you know, when we had Bengal and some of the yeah, other. I was going to say that too. It's like yeah. they changed artists. And I'm like, what? Because I looked at, I looked back and looked at the first, you know, three, uh, uh, number one, number two, number three. And I was like, man, that's when they were fun. I was like, I don't know what yeah. happened. Yeah. Like I said, we had Bengal, we had Louis LaRosa, we had some really good artists. And now it's like, it's a different artist each time and the style is sort of the same, but it doesn't have that same dynamic feel. So 
I don't know. I, I, I hope it gets better, but if the, I may hang on for this arc, and, and if it doesn't get better, I'll, I'll give the next arc's first issue a try, and if, if that's not to my liking, I, I might be dropping this. It just hasn't been that fun lately, so. No. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let me move on. Uh, next book I'm going to talk about is from Aftershock. It's Undone by Blood, The Other Side of Eden, number two. Uh, this is written by Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson. Art is by Sammy Cavella. Colors by Jason Wordy. And letters by Hassan Atmane Elhau. Uh, so the first Undone by Blood was spectacular. Uh, and I think based on the strength of that, it got option for TV and uh, it's moving to other media and, and what have you. So this is the second volume. They, they immediately... I think it only had like a month or two off and they immediately started another volume. Uh, and I sort of wish, and, and I get it because the, the first story had an ending, but it, it could have kept going the way they left it. And I kind of wish that it had uh, because that protagonist, I think was much more interesting than the protagonist we have here. Maybe it's just hasn't gotten that far yet. So if you're not familiar, undone by blood, it's, it's really interesting. So what Nadler and Thompson are doing is they're telling a story uh, stories, I guess you should say, in different time periods. The first one was set in like 1970 or 71, and it was telling the story of a young lady who was um, trying to get revenge in this uh, small town in, in the Arizona desert in, in 1970. Uh, and while she's on this ad adventure or on this mission of revenge, she's reading this book about this uh, this like old gunslinger in the Old West. Uh, Solomon Eaton. And when she's reading this, this pulp Western novel, the adventure that Solomon himself is on in the book sort of mirrors the adventure that this girl was going on in this town in Arizona. So with the second volume, it's a brand new protagonist. Now we're, it's set in like the 1930s, uh, I think in a city, but we still have that same convention, right? Where the main protagonist here is reading a book uh, about Solomon Cain and or Solomon Eaton rather, and Solomon Eaton's uh, adventure once again mirrors the the adventure that the protagonist is going on. Um, the problem this time around, it's still really good. Don't get me wrong; it's still really good. It's still really entertaining. I love the double narratives. I love getting to see the, the old Western uh, art and and whenever we're reading those pages, you just get these text boxes that are just like prose as if you're reading a novel rather than word balloons and, and that sort of thing. I, I, I love the convention of that. I love that type of, of storytelling. It's, it's original and it's different. Um, the problem is like right away in the first volume, you related to Ethel was the main character's name. And you, you understood where she was coming from and why she was doing what she was doing. And you had a lot of, uh, of empathy for her and, and you understood in this one, I, I don't feel like the, the main character's name is Sylvie. I don't feel like I, I know him. I don't know his motivations. I don't know why he's doing what he's doing. There's no relatability there yet. And so that's what's, what's missing for me in the story. The, the action's cool. It's paced well. Like technically, uh, it, it's all done well. But I'm finding myself much more interested in the Solomon Eaton story than I am in the Sylvie story that that's happening in the real world. Whereas in the old one or the first one, I should say, I was, I was equally drawn in by the Solomon Eaton story and the, uh, and the Ethel, Ethel story. Whereas this one, I just, I have no, uh, no dog in the fight with Sylvie, you know, um, I'm just kind of along for the ride. And again, that, that might turn around with the next issue. I don't know. Uh, I think the art is, is serviceable. It's not the same artist as, as the first time around. Um, and I feel like, at least I don't think it is. Maybe it is. Maybe he's just using a different style. But I feel like the art in the the real world stories isn't quite as good as it was uh, the first go round. Um, the Solomon Eaton art is spectacular in in both. Um, but it, but it is an interesting story. I would say definitely go and read the first volume of Undone My Blood because it's amazing. And then uh, then check out an issue or two of this one and see if you if you feel the same way I I do that it's not. It's not quite all there, um, but it's close. It's, it's, it's close. So uh, I don't know. Are, have you read any of this or have you checked it out at all? Uh, no, I haven't yet. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, all good. I was just curious. 
Aftershock uh, is putting out some really good stuff these days. So I was just kind of curious. If you I, I do collect like six or seven or titles. Just, that's just not one that's on my list, I'm afraid. Yep, all good. Uh, all right, well, up next we have uh, Nonstop Spider-Man, which is written by Joe Kelly. Pencils are by Chris Bacalo. We've got Tim Townsend with Al Vey and Wayne Fokker on inks. Marcio Menez on colors and Travis Lanham on letters. Uh, and this is the second issue of this uh, mini. So uh, what are your thoughts here, Jay? I, it was called uh, The Big uh, Brain Play Part 2. So I guess students of the ESU, uh, Empire State University, are taking a drug called uh, A+. And I kind of, I guess, what is it? It's a performance drug enhancement but uh it does more to the because after they overdose pretty easy with this so of course peter's there and if uh one of the students uh gets sick so he figures out you know what's going on and he kind of does a team up with a reporter i guess uh, nora and so they work together to try to figure out you know uh who's uh pushing this drug and where's it going and then we get a big fight scene with i guess two new characters i guess in the spider-man world and they're pretty tough, I mean, for because he's supposed to have, you know, his little spider sense, but he has a little trouble with these guys. So it's like interesting. And he kind of tells you why he can't, uh, you know, uh, read them. So that's kind of cool. But I won't give that away. He kind of figures out what's going on, you know, with, with that fight. Um, and then it's, uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't want to give away the ending, but uh, it's pretty good. And you get like a special, I guess, uh, the ringleader kind of comes at the end, I'm assuming. But, uh, you know, he's kind of a big bad in, in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. But I like it. I like it, though. I was just, I don't know why they used him. I just think because of the show, I don't know, but you know, it's just kind of interesting why they, they chose him of all the villains. Yeah. This is a really weird one for me. And, and it is hard to talk about, um, you, you know, when <laughs> Jay, as Jay saying, he, I mean, the title is very appropriate, right? Nonstop Spider-Man it, it's nonstop action. And so it's hard to talk about this book or anything that happens in the book without giving anything away. Uh, because <laughs> Everything that happens in the book, it's literally nonstop action from start to finish. What I don't know necessarily is why, this, like, why couldn't you have told this story in a regular Spider-Man book? Like, I don't understand Marvel and DC's, um, they're constantly pushing more content out. Like, we have so many Spider-Man books already. Um, why couldn't you just have told us, you know, I guess it is, you know, in, in Peter Parker's past when he's, when he's still a student at uh, at Empire State University, and we're finding out that apparently he knew Nora Winters way back then, which he didn't when he the stories were coming out when he was going to Empire State University. She hadn't even been created yet, so it's a retcon in that way, and maybe that's part of why they wanted to go back and and do this in the past and what have you to to show that hey, she she was around even way back when, even though she really wasn't. Um, <laughs> but it is sort of showing. Peter's uh, intelligence. And I do like that, that he's figuring things out as he goes along with what's going on with this drug and whatnot. Um, and so it, it's okay. I feel like it's not necessarily, it doesn't feel that much like an authentic Spider-Man book in terms of his voice, like, especially when he's in costume, I feel like Joe Kelly doesn't necessarily have that witty Spider-Man banter down really well. I don't really care for the art either. Chris, Bacalo's art on Spider-Man. He looks kind of squished down and, and weird. Like he has no neck. His head is just a, attaches directly to his shoulders. <laughs> it's just so, <laughs> it's so strange. So I don't know. It's, Oh, it's an okay book. I mean, if you're a really big Spider-Man fan, um, check it out, I guess, uh, you know, maybe pick it up and thumb through it and see if you feel like it's something that you would be interested in. Um, but I can't say, Oh yeah, this is great. Go out and buy it. <laughs> Um, and I sort of feel that way about my next book too. Um, it's a new sort of version of what if it's a four part Spider-Man story called Spider-Man spider's shadow. Uh, and it has this new what if logo on the front that's designed by Chip Zdarsky, who's actually the writer for this book. The art is by Pasquale Ferry colors are by Matt Hollinsworth letters by Joe Caramagna. Um, but here's the thing, right? Uh, much like daredevil, Zdarsky's not necessarily treading new ground here. This is basically the story like, what if Spider-Man decided not to give up the this alien symbiote that eventually becomes Venom, right? What if he decides to, to keep it? Um, and how will it you know, affect him? Uh, is, it, is it evil in and of itself? Did it become Venom because it 
uh, bonded with Eddie Brock, who wanted revenge for being fired after making up some news stories and whatnot about the Sin Eater. So it's an interesting premise, and maybe it'll get better after the first issue, but um, and, and maybe it's the art that, that where it doesn't speak to me. The Pasquale Ferry art just doesn't do it for me. It's got this, like the backgrounds are almost non-existent in a lot of the panels, so the art doesn't have any depth. It just feels very like plastic and, and fake. Um, there's not a lot of texture. It feels very flat. Uh, and again, the, the lack of backgrounds adds to that. Um, and, and the fact that Spider-Man's in this black and white costume and, and there's no shading at all. Like whenever he's in the costume, it's all just this flat black color. There's no depth to it. So I, I just thought the art was really, really subpar. Um, and being that it's Chip Zardowski, and I just talked about how how much I've been loving Zardowski's work, um, this just didn't didn't do it for me. Um, and I know Zardowski's really capable of delivering us emotional stories, but this sort of felt like almost you know paint by the numbers, um, almost like he was writing down to the art, if that makes any sense. So I, I don't know. I always say you have to give every book at least two issues. So I'll probably check out the next issue. Um, but I don't know. It just, I was sort of disappointed. I, I, I was looking forward to reading this like, okay, it's a story, a what if story that's been told before specifically as a what if story, what if Spider-Man kept the alien symbiote, whatever. Uh, I think it was probably a, a one shot previously, but we have seen some other alien symbiote stuff recently. Um, I can't even remember who it was. I want to say Peter David, but I don't think that's right. Um, but somebody else wrote some stories that were set, like that went back in that time and said, hey, here's some untold stories of Peter when he still had the black costume. I have to think Marvel's doing this because of the success of the Venom and the Null and the, the King in Black uh, stories from uh, from Donny Cates. And that's why they're they're diving into this thinking that it'll sell. Um, so I was interested enough just because it was Zardarsky, but I don't know. The first issue, like I said, it just, it just didn't grab me. It was only, uh, only okay. So I don't know. And I didn't really care much for Spider-Man life story either. So maybe it's just, I don't really care for Zardarsky's take on, on Spider-Man. I, I don't know, but I will give the next issue a, a chance just to see. And if, if it's still not doing it for me, then I'll, I'll probably jump off. So I don't know if you got a chance to check this out or not. Oh, I did. And uh, I was expecting a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Didn't yeah. It feel like, like you, you get Peter's reason for keeping the costume and it just, right. it didn't feel authentic to me. No, I like I said, it was very, there was no a definition in the, in the suit. You're like, well, you know, I mean, I know he's not top of Farland, but I mean, he, yeah, he, you yeah. know, I mean, he made him, he made the black suit, the black suit. It wasn't for him. I don't think it would ever would have worked to be honest with you. But if yeah. it was like that, when it first came out, people would have hated it. And they said, get that suit off of Spider-Man. Yeah. But yeah, it was all right. But I think I'm just going to keep reading it because see what they go with it. And with a nonstop, I'm a Spider-Man fan. I don't want to miss the case of introducing a new character or they uh, do I something. Have. That's the only reason I, I do that because they always get you with the crossovers. Yep. 100%. <laughs> uh, all right. Up next, we have, uh, I think this is a, uh, it has multiple stories and it. it's a Dark Hawk, Heart of the Hawk. <laughs> Dark Hawk is back. We've got <laughs> Cry of the City, written by Danny Fingeroth, with art by Mike Manley, and colors by Chris Sotomayor. And I think Danny Fingeroth's the guy that created Darkoff, if, if I'm not mistaken. Then we've got Long Way From Home, written by Dan Abnett, art by Andrea DeVito, inks by LeBeau Underwood, colors by Sebastian Cheng. And then finally, Last Flight, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Juan and Ramirez, colors by Eric Arsenega, uh, letters by uh, Travis Lanham for all... Uh, for all three stories. And uh, I'll, I'll just go on record here. I have <laughs> never read a dark Hawk story. Uh, I've, I, wasn't he in new warriors? Yes. So yeah, I've a, never, uh... read new, I've never read a new warrior story either. So I know zero about dark Hawk and I did not read this, but uh, you don't like, have to know anything about him to read the story. You figured out that, you know, the origin is right from the first story. Really? Uh, when I was wow. a kid, well, this is a funny story. When I was a kid, real quick, I was at a comic shop and the owner had five number ones of Blackhawk, <laughs> of Darkhawk. Dark and he told yeah. me, he told me, hey, you should get it because it'll be worth something someday. I was like, but there's five of them. He said, well, just buy all five. I'll give you a dollar off. All right. I bought them. 
because it's supposed to be like the next superhero. So I'm like, okay, so 30 years later, literally 30 years later, I still got those. I still got it downstairs. <laughs> dark isn't dark, but I saw recently that their 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 value of Darkhawk was finally creeping up. Yeah, I think it's like crazy. I think it's like like thirty or forty bucks, you know. But it's just so funny that like, you know, I got kind of roped into thinking, oh, it's yeah. gonna be next great yeah, superhero, he's... and it was so terrible. Yeah, so I had to I had to look at the book for I came on here. I said, well, let me look at the artwork. Is it the same, or was it worse, or was it better? No, nah, it was actually worse. Yeah, he saw you coming for sure. Oh yeah, he saw me. He's like, well, this guy will get rid of him for me. I think he's wanted to get rid of him because that's all he had on the shelf. So he got me to get rid of him for him. That's what he used me for. <laughs> but I guess I got him, and they're worth some money. So eh, jokes on him. They're worth money now. Now I, I read it. I just wanted to see if they uh, did anything after thirty years. Anything new with the character? Uh, no, no, not so much. The first story is like, okay, I already know this. I know who the main bad guy is. You know who's underneath the ma- the mask. I'm like, okay, that has that's still the same story. Got it. Uh, second one is supposed to be, I guess, in the outer reaches of the universe where he's you know hunting and trying to get rid of a certain uh, creature that's you know like uh, doing, um, I guess, nest eggs everywhere. So he's trying to do that in that storyline. The last story is like the last battle he's going to do before he gives up the uh, the gem that makes him who he is. You know, to pass it on to the next uh, person. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, it didn't sound like there was much there. It almost felt like it was. Uh, they put it, it out. Was... They put it out because Darkhawk hasn't been in a book in a while, and they need the the copyright to renew the copyright, or or maybe hoping for a little like nostalgia. I think they're going to side unless you're some poor kid like me that's that's a hey, you should buy this book and get the last five copies. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, I waited for that one for the last because I was like, well, I got to see if they did with the, anything with this character. And I was like, no, nope, they did nothing after 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, next book I'm going to talk about is Scout's Honor. Uh, this is issue number four. Next to last issue, A Scout's Prayer is the title. It's by David Pepos. Art is by Luca Casalanguida. Colors by Matt Mella and letters by Carlos M. Mangual. Uh, so this has been a really interesting story. It's basically a post-apocalyptic story where uh, there's a there's a cult of uh, like a Boy Scout or Eagle Scout analog, and the the Bible, the Boy Scout manual, as it were, is sort of the 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 manual for how to survive in this post-apocalyptic world. And we we found out a couple issues ago that the the Ranger Scouts, as they're called, aren't all they're cracked up to be. Uh, Kit, our our protagonist, throughout we we found out early on that even though she's masquerading as a boy so she can be a ranger scout. Cause they only allow males in um, she, you know, it's a female and she's very capable. She's very intelligent. She's very smart. And as the story's gone along, she, she's come to learn that the, the ranger scouts are not what she believed them to be to the point where she's come around to wanting to destroy them and even, you know, willing to do whatever it takes in, in order to, uh, to stop them. So in this, in this issue, next to last issue is she sort of has a crisis of confidence and she, she comes to a choice. She comes to a, uh, where she has to make a decision. She can sort of slink off and, and try to eke out an existence or, or give up and die. Um, you know, that, that is one choice, you know, to, to, to sort of give up and who knows if she'll survive or not, and maybe she'll just kind of lay down and die or she can choose to fight back. And what resources does she have? And it's uh, sort of the irony of the, the fact that if she's able to, to fight back and defeat these Ranger Scouts uh, and, and their corrupt leaders and whatnot, it's going to be the skills that she gained as a Ranger Scout, the things that they taught her, the seven rules of a Ranger Scout and whatnot, that are going to allow her to, to win the day, as it were. So this, uh, this issue sets up the final uh, confrontation, um, and I can't wait to see what goes on all throughout the the story uh, from every issue it has been one of the most tightly plotted and well-paced comics I've read in a long time David Popose has a really incredible post-apocalyptic world that he has built out with uh, you know these irradiated spider monsters and all these different monsters of the waste along with the uh, the outpost of the Rangers the the sort of highway men that are out there trying to, uh, you know, at war with the Rangers, trying to take what they have and, and whatnot. And so 
without being overt and spending a lot of time with exposition because he, he just simply doesn't have enough time because most of the narration, most of the narrative is all taken up with telling us the story of Kit. And so we learn everything um, sort of in passing. Uh, he's done a masterful job of, of doing that and, and fleshing out the world and giving us the texture and the, the setting and the atmosphere and the ambiance of this, this world of, the, of Scout's Honor without spending time dwelling on it because he simply hasn't had the space. So it's been absolutely incredible. It's been a, a wild ride, a lot of action. Uh, Kit is a, a great character, a wonderful uh, protagonist. And I, I've been digging on this story. I think a lot of people have. This is probably the Aftershock title that I, I hear more people talking about than any other that's coming out right now. It's that good. Everybody's loving it, especially other creators. Um, and when you get other creators talking about how great a book is, I think that's a real kind of stamp of, uh, of approval. So uh, I give this my, my highest recommendation. It's really, really good. I don't know if you've had a chance to read any of, uh, of Scout's Honor or not, Jay. Oh, yeah, I collected it. I actually read it when you sent them to me. So, yeah, I'm, I was hooked from the first uh, issue. I was like, it's going to get really good. It's one of those uh, stories, I guess, uh, you, people will skip it unless someone tells them, but it's, uh, it's a gem. It's actually a really good story. And Annie was perfect, you know, when they asked her that question, you know, she tells them, you know, you know, with their answer, I was like, yeah. you know what, that's, that's perfect, perfect way to end that, uh, yeah. that, that story right there. Yeah, it's, it really, yeah, it really gets you excited for the next, uh, for the next issue. So. Hopefully it's a double issue, so they can have a little more, you know, story, you know, get, but they usually don't do that, but maybe they will, I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see a second volume of, uh, of Scouts on her for sure. Oh, I'd, I'd definitely buy that. <laughs> All right, well, let me give a rundown on some of the other books that are out today because uh, I, I did also want to mention we didn't cover uh, American Vampire in our um, in our DC spotlight uh, because honestly I haven't read all of American Vampire much like Manny I didn't jump on till this 1976 which supposedly is the last story in uh, in the American Vampire mythology that Scott Snyder is going to tell and this is the, the next to last issue so along with um, Raphael Albuquerque, his co-creator, they're kind of coming to the end of their their story here. Um, and this this next to last issue, it, Albuquerque doesn't even work on it. It's Scott Snyder working with three different artists. One's uh, Francesco Francavia, who is a, a really talented, or uh, you know, well-known comic book artist. He does a lot of horror stuff. I think a lot of people might know him from those really cool covers he did for Afterlife with Archie. There's a second story where Tula Lote handles the art. And then there's a third one with art by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz. And they're all set in different time periods. And um, because it's three stories crammed into one issue, uh, much like uh, nonstop Spider-Man, there's not much I can say about the narrative because it all goes pretty fast. I mean, this is a 20 page comic with three stories. Um, but they're all set in different time periods. And, and what it does is it reminds you of what a complex world and uh, intricate and sort of intertwined world that, uh, that Snyder and Albuquerque have built, right? Like this is called family trees and the stories have to do with, you know, different vampires and relatives and, and whatnot. And e even this book, you know, it's American vampire in 1976 and throughout the, the whole American vampire uh, series or, or franchise or world, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, we've been getting the, the story of Skinner and him in different time periods and, you know, vampires are immortal. And so, you know, you take that idea and, and what Snyder and Albuquerque have done is they've taken that idea much like some of the Anne Rice stuff with vampires. And you get to tell these stories in all these different time periods and you pull in the ambiance of those time periods and you pull in the different uh, politics of those worlds and you contrast it with sort of the politics and the story of these vampires who, who being immortal and so long lived have a much different outlook on the world. And that contrast makes for really interesting stories. And this issue of American vampire sort of encap encapsulates all that. It's sort of an example of everything American vampire is in one issue. Like what makes American Vampire so cool about how you can tell stories in all these different uh, settings and all these different time periods. But the other thing that it does with this idea of this being the next to last issue, it also reminds everybody, hey, 
American Vampire as a, as a franchise, as an idea, can go on forever with telling different stories. Doesn't necessarily have to be Skinner. Doesn't necessarily have to be these characters we've already met. Um, and so you would kind of hope that maybe if Scott Snyder or Raphael Albuquerque don't necessarily want to tell stories in this world anymore, that they let other creators come in. And again, all these stories are written by Scott Snyder. It's just the art that's handled by other people. But that's not to say that that other people couldn't come in and write stories in this uh, in this world of American Vampire. So uh, it's pretty solid. It's pretty solid. And I didn't mean I, I didn't mean to talk about it that much in depth. Um, but it's just that good. And so I, I, I guess I should mention it a little more than I <laughs> I was just going to give a rundown of all the other books. But uh, I don't know. It was really good. I wanted to talk about it a little more uh, in detail. So anyway, in addition to the books that we've already talked about from Aftershock Comics, Phantom on Scan from Edward Cullen Bunn is out. It's a weird one that ends with a crazy, brutal sort of image. Um, and I'm not sure if I like it yet. Uh, but it's interesting and it's aftershock and I trust their judgment. And so I have a feeling it's going to end up being uh, pretty solid. So uh, that's out today. Black Hammer Visions number three is also uh, out from uh, from Dark Horse over at DC. And I, I will remind everybody that uh, you can go and listen to our DC Spotlight, which came out yesterday, where Rocky from Comic Boom and I go into detail on a lot of the issues that came out from uh, from DC yesterday. Uh, but just to give you a, a rundown, we talked about Batman, the detective, number one of six from Tom Taylor. We talked about Batman Urban Legends, number two, which is the Batman anthology. We talked about Joker, number two, from James Tynan. We talked about Rorschach, number seven, from uh, Tom King and Jorge Fornes. We talked about Superman, number 30. And we talked about Wonder Woman, 771. Uh, there is also the Sweet Tooth of the Return, number six of six from Jeff Lemire, which finishes up that miniseries. Uh, and then Challenge of the Super Sons, number one. Uh, I think that is written by Peter J. Tomasi, who's kind of known for his work on on uh, on the Super Sons. And that's a digital first, but they're collecting, I think, the first four or six digital first uh, episodes into uh, a print comic. So uh, that's the stuff out from DC. And like I said, we, most of those books we talked about yesterday uh, on the DC Spotlight. Uh, Meanwhile, over at IDW, Cantu returns with Cantu and the City of Giants, number one of three. And I think this is supposed to be the final Cantu story. Um, but who knows? I mean, it's a it's a popular title. It's been optioned for TV, so it could certainly go on uh, longer than that. Uh, Lock and Key, the Sandman universe, Hell and Gone, number one. That's right. There's going to be a crossover uh, that starts this week between the Lock and Key worlds and the Sandman universe of Neil Gaiman. So I know there's a, a lot of fans, a lot of crossover there, people that read both. So you're probably pretty excited for that. Uh, Home, number one of five from Image, is a very um, kind of relatable and um, timely book about uh, immigrants who come into the United States from Guatemala, the parent and child are separated, and then the child manifests superpowers. Uh, I can only imagine some of the kids who are separated from their parents at the border under the previous administration wish that they would have had superpowers and been able to get some revenge. Uh, so that's a, it was an interesting start. Uh, over at Marvel, in addition to the books that we uh, already talked about, Children of the Atom, number two, from writer, writer Vita Ayala is out. She does a, a great job of continuing to tell the story of the, these sort of new X-Men, these really young uh, mutants who are trying to find their way, who are choosing purposefully not to go to Krakoa and be safe and instead stay in uh, the, the regular world, I guess you call it, and protect any mutants that, that need their help. So uh, it's been a pretty solid series so far. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number 13 is also out today. Uh, King and Black Namor number five of five finishes up that miniseries. Power Pack number five of five finishes up that miniseries. Uh, Thor number 14 is out, as well as Thor and Loki Double Trouble, number two of four, which is sort of an all-ages story uh, with Thor and his uh, his brother. Uh, from Scout Comics, new series kicking off called Locust number one. Uh, over at Valiant, we have... Uh, where is it? Uh, Savage number three, which I, I didn't read. After reading Savage number one, I just, I couldn't get into it. I say always read two, but I haven't read uh, number two yet. So I didn't get a chance to read number three. And then uh, last thing I'll mention is over at Vault, 
autumnal number six, which I hear really, really good things about, is also on stands today. So uh, those are some other books you might want to be on the lookout for. Uh, anything else you want to add, Jay, before we wrap it up? Oh, no. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yep. Okay. That's going to do it, everybody. Uh, like I said, a lot of books. Hope you uh, enjoy going out to your comic shop, New Comic Book Day, picking up some of these titles we're, uh, we're talking about. Uh, highly recommend Maniac of New York. If you're not reading that, I definitely would suggest picking it up. Uh, definitely would suggest picking up American Vampire 1976. Daredevil's really, uh, really kicking butt. Iron Man's great. Um, I don't know that I can pick just one title for a book of the week for me. Um, I feel like there were a lot of really, really good books this week. Nothing stood out head and shoulders above the rest. I don't know. Jay, do you, do you have a book of the week? Ooh, between Maynack and New York and uh, Scott's Honor, I don't know. Those two are my favorites so far. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. That's going to do it for this episode. want to thank you for listening as always, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.